0: Good morning, church. Um, today I get the opportunity to read our scripture reading, which comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. In the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the twelfth 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord. We have acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are in the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of the servants, your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king.
1: Thank you, Kara. <clears throat> Good morning, if we haven't had a chance to talk today. I'm Rob, and I love breakfast. I don't know about you guys, but there is probably not a breakfast that I have met that I don't like. And I was eating Honey Nut Cheerios uh, a week ago, I think, or so, and I admit that I still read the box sometimes, Uh, And so on the back of the Honey Nut Cheerios box, I promise there's a point, is uh, Rob Gronkowski, Lucy Hale, actress from Pretty Little Liars, and uh, Michael B. Johnson, who was in Black Panther. And each of them are these stars that are raising money for their foundations, whether it's Cruelty to Animals or Youth Sports Foundation or even uh, this uh, Feeding America program. And there's been 15 as of, I think, November or uh, October. That's the month that comes before November. There's been like 15,000, no, 15 million BuzzCoin donated. I mean, that's some number that makes no sense to me. But, you know, there's this big thing that's going on about how they can raise this money. And the point that I'm trying to make is that we hear these things and see these things so often that I think what happens is we see the superstars and the actors and the actresses or the rich or the beautiful, and we think, well, they're the ones that can make a difference, not me. So I guess I'll just complain about it or sit down about it or worry about it, but I couldn't possibly do anything. And what I love about this story in Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is just this ordinary person. He's not a king like David. He's not a governor like Zerubbabel, who we saw um, a couple weeks ago. He's not a priest like Ezra that we talked about last week. He's not a prophet like Moses or Malachi or Jeremiah. He's, he's really, uh, he's a cupbearer. He's a glorified butler, and he's just a normal person, and what I love about that is that God specializes in working with ordinary people, you and me and all of us, and today as we continue our series called Restoring What's Broken, we're going to look at what it means when we can plug into and discover God's passion and the power of God's passion. So Kara read that Nehemiah is the son of Hakaliah in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. And if you're like, ah, you lost me at Nehemiah. Um, Me too. So Kislev is the ninth month in the Jewish calendar. Uh, The Jewish calendar, I believe, has 10 months out of the year. So it's November-ish, December-ish, so when we're like celebrating Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're not, because Jesus hasn't come yet. But um, it's called Kislev. And the 20th year is the 20th year in the king's reign. The king at the time was Artaxerxes. He's the, the ruler of the most powerful empire in the world at the time, Persia. And it's 444 or 445 BC, if you're like, ooh, that's interesting. Uh, Susa is, we'll put it on the map, it's, in, it's just by the Persian Gulf. It's in modern-day uh, iran It's just north of the Persian Gulf. It's just east of ancient Babylon and uh, modern-day Baghdad. So that's where Susa is. There's kind of two capitals in the Persian Empire. Susa is one of those capitals, and it's the place of the of the winter, it's the site of the winter palace of the king. So, you know, the king goes to several places and at the time, the Jews have been scattered throughout all the area, and uh, Esther has been a generation before Nehemiah. Esther was this Jewish woman in exile who became the queen and figured out how to do this thing that we call um, the, the way of the exile. It's how these people that have been called by God or identify with God can, can live and serve in a kingdom that's not theirs, in an empire that they might even disagree with, how they can actually look out for the good of the people around them, their neighbors, which might look really different than them, but yet always remain loyal to the God that they love, that they believe in, even if no one else knows. So I want you to hear that tension. You don't have to be fabulous, you don't have to be rich, you don't have to be beautiful, but you do have to step into that tension. How do I live in a kingdom that I might disagree with? How do I serve it? How do I seek the peace of the people around, the neighbors, and yet always remain loyal to God? And so here we have Nehemiah. He's not a warrior. He's not a military general. He's not a, he's not a priest. He's this, he's this cupbearer that really any of us, any of us could be because the cupbearer is just one who brings a drink Jesus says, anyone who brings a cold cup of water in my name is with me. That's a cupbearer. But more specifically, a cupbearer is someone who is over all of the things that the king would drink, whether it's wine or water, making sure it not only tastes right or goes with the meal, but is not poisoned either. So that's kind of a big deal. Now, inhale this, but do not touch I smell nothing. What you do not smell, it's called iocane powder. It's odorless, tasteless, dissolves instantly in water, in any liquid, and it's among the more deadly poisons known to man. So you might want to build up your immunity to iocane powder for a few years if, you know, you're a cupbearer. Otherwise, you're like, what in the world? So cupbearers have this influence and access to the king or queen. They are in the court. And Nehemiah's name means uh, Jehovah comforts, and his father's name means to whom Jehovah enlightens. So I get from that that he's a person of wisdom and of peace and of comfort. And so he'd probably make an excellent counselor or advisor. And I think he's trying to live into this tension of living and serving and seeking the peace of an empire that I might disagree with, yet always remaining loyal to God. And so he's going about that, it's his ordinary days. When Nehemiah meets his brother and some people who've just returned from his town of ancestry, he asks about the people, he asks about the the trip, and they say the walls are broken down, the people are in distress, things are not good. Now, city walls at the time, there is no police force for each of these cities. So the walls of the city provide a security and a protection around them. Every major city or capital would have these around. And the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down for 140 years. Not only is that a disgrace, it just leaves them very vulnerable in a time where empires and kingdoms are transitioning. So think about it, though. Nehemiah is serving a king and a kingdom where he has comfort and status and influence. My guess is that some of you serve in places where you have status and influence, maybe even comfort. Nice cushy chair, a window to look out. And in this place, in Nehemiah's case, he's 1,000 miles from Jerusalem. And there's no airplanes, there's no cars. It is a haul to try and get from Susa to Jerusalem. Now, people do it. His brothers just came back from it, or at least one brother. But when Nehemiah hears this, about this news of these people that he is somewhat related to, he sits down and weeps. He, I think it would have been easy to do what is actually pretty easy for me to do. Like, oh, when I see something that's heartbreaking and terrible, the airlines that just crashed in a... Was it Africa? And I go, oh, that's awful. And I don't live there. It's not my problem. Because I can only handle so many problems. And then I go on with my day. Sometimes I might say a quick prayer for those people. Um, I took this personality indicator aptitude thing a few years ago. It's called the Enneagram, if you want to know. And it says, you have a personality that likes to avoid pain. I don't even want to bring up that I like to avoid pain. I like to avoid pain so much. But I think that anyone who lives in an industrialized, highly prosperous nation likes to avoid pain. Maybe. Maybe. It would have been really easy for Nehemiah just to say the quick prayer and go on with his life. He had a job. He had influence. He could, have, he could have helped them in other ways. If he lived today, he probably could have written a really detailed Facebook post or social media post about how terrible the problem is. It would have been a nice, you know, rant. He could have put a good picture up that had a filter that showed that he cared and then gone back to his life. He could have started a GoFundMe page, been the first one to... You know, send the donation. And please don't hear that I'm, I'm slightly making fun of, but I'm not, these aren't bad things. But they're all ways that we can slightly come up to the problem and actually never let it penetrate our heart. See, if we want to discover God's passions, his dreams for the world and what he cares about, and the power that's in that, we have to stop and weep That's what Nehemiah does. He lets the problem actually penetrate his heart. He's just an ordinary guy who's in a place of influence who actually stops. And it changes from this ordinary day to this extraordinary moment. Now, the Greeks who actually conquer the Persians and take over as the most powerful empire in about 100 years from where we're at in the story right now. The Greeks had two words for time. One of them was chronos. It's where we get the word chronograph. It's a fancy word for stopwatch. And it's the word that's used for the measuring of time, whether in days or minutes or months or years. It's ordinary time. But then the other word for the Greeks had for time is this word kairos. Now, kairos is a moment in time that's so significant that you can't actually measure it by minutes. When you discover who you are and what you are meant to do in the world, that's a kairos moment. If you've had the privilege of holding a child for the first time, your child for the first time, that is a kairos moment. If you find the person that you're like, this is the person I wanna spend the rest of my life with, kairos moment. When you discover that you're not the only person in the world who thinks like you or loves like you, and you have a family that goes beyond your blood, it's a Kairos moment. And when you start to see these in the Bible, when you start to understand what they are, you can see them all over the Bible and all over your life. I mean, it was just a a Kronos day when Moses was shepherding his sheep, But it became this kairos moment when he saw the bush that didn't burn up and he heard from God that he was now going to shepherd a people. It was an ordinary chronos day when Peter and Andrew and James and John were, were mending their nets after this night of failed fishing. And yet it became this kairos moment when Jesus called them to fish for people. It was an ordinary chronos day when Esther was going about her time as queen and then she hears about a plot against her people and someone comes and says, maybe you were meant to be queen for such a time as this and it became a kairos moment. That's what Nehemiah, I think, is having. He's just having this ordinary chronos day and he hears this news and he lets it penetrate his heart and it becomes a kairos moment. Have you had one? Have you had something that has broken your heart before? I know some of you who have. People who don't have access to college funding because of their socioeconomic status or their race. So you start a fund, especially for those kids. That's a kairos moment. Or when we started this church, we met with the neighborhood, um, the school right over here, and we talked to the social worker, and we said, what are the challenges? What are the students like? Well, some of these kids go to school hungry, um, and, you know, they're, either they don't qualify or their parents won't go through the shame of filling out the form to, to make sure that they have the right access to food. All right, so we started food on the first, and every month for eight years, you have donated be- around 100 pounds of food or gift cards and that has gone to that school to go into a food locker so that every kid, no matter what, any kid for any reason can go grab that with no shame, with no judgment. Uh, it, some of you know Leanne. It broke Leanne's heart that, that girls couldn't share their stories of trauma or abuse or loneliness. She, ra- she found a charity. She's like, this is not okay. Somebody has to do something. She found a chariot, uh, an organization called Chariots of Hope that was doing that or similar work and she raised money. She went there and for two months she taught girls how to share their story and then she listened to their stories. And right now she's back. They, they brought her back this time to do it again with a few other schools and orphanages. What... Breaks your heart. And do you let it break your heart? You know, it still breaks my heart that people are burned or bored by religion. Or that people think that they have to be fake in order to come to church, like they have it all together. Or that they could sit on the sidelines of their life and think that that's going to provide this path of transformation and restoration. What breaks your heart? You know, Christine talked about each of her kids having someone. You know, that over 80% of people who follow Christ do so between, choose to do so between the ages of 4 and 14. And then re, new research is showing that almost half of those kids will choose to reject that faith or or fall away from that faith in college. And one of the biggest things she talked about is healthy adults. I call them the high five. Five adults, you know, sometimes they can be your parents, but let's be honest, sometimes we're not the best people. Um, Five adults to pray for, listen to, and encourage children and teens in their faith. So it becomes their faith. And as a dad, I pray that each of my kids have five people. But as your pastor, as your pastor, I need to just say, we need to be one of those five for someone else. We we can't do it for everybody, but we can do it for somebody. And we had doubled our student ministry leaders from last year to this year. And in the last two months, we've had two or three of them have to step down or pull back or step away because of various circumstances. That breaks my heart. See, when Nehemiah heard that the walls were damaged, that the people were in distress, he, he just stopped and he wept. But he didn't stop there, he knelt and he prayed. That's what we can do if we want to discover, really discover the passion of God's power or the power of God's passion. We can stop and weep and we can kneel to pray. Because when we pray, it demonstrates, prayer and fasting demonstrates dependence, it demonstrates humility, because when we see a problem, I don't know about you, but I can get super overwhelmed quick. I know I look like I have it all together, because I never cry in front of you, but like seriously, it can be overwhelming. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to say, I'm not a bricklayer, I'm not an engineer, I don't know how to work with stone, I can pour wine. Maybe you've sensed God telling you to do something already in your life, and you're like, hmm, but I'm too young, or I'm just one person, or I'm not qualified, or I don't have what it takes. Those are just lies, because God plus you is always going to be a majority. No matter who you are, if God is who he says he is, and you're with him, that's going to be a majority, So we bring it to the one who can actually help us with it. When God puts a giant need on you, he's probably wanting it to be bigger than you, so you have to ask for his help. Prayer helps us remember God's promises. That's what Nehemiah was doing. He was acknowledging who God is in his life and how he's worked in the past, and then he found his story in God's story. He realized that they were in a scattered place, they were exiled to these far reaches, and that God had talked about that before in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, all through. God said, I want to bless a people and give them a place where they can demonstrate what it means to be in relationship with me and bless other people. That their neighbors can come to this city of peace and actually find peace. That even, dare I say, they not have walls around their city, so it would have, they would have access and influence and know that God is protecting them. That's another story for another week in the series. But the people did not follow God with their whole hearts. They followed other gods. They made idols, and they didn't listen and obey God. And so there were consequences, and they were scattered. But Nehemiah finds his story and God's story and says, we're scattered. God already talked about that. But he said, if we would pray, if we would return, then he would bring us back. Maybe these people gathered in Jerusalem, the small people that the Bible calls a remnant, maybe this is the start of God bringing us back. That's what is happening in his prayer. He says, remember these instructions that you gave Moses. If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you. But if you obey me and return to me, Then no matter where you are, I will bring you back. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 30, Nehemiah 1. And then he says, Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah realizes that one of the resources around him is a king that doesn't acknowledge his God, or at least pray to his God as the only and one true God, but he has influence, power, resources, and so he starts praying, God, maybe, maybe my relationship with the king is what you want to use. And in, uh, in chapter two, it says in the month of Nisan, that's the third month, so four months have gone by. When we when we think about prayer and we think that there's waiting involved in prayer, it's not waiting, it's investing. God is, God is using that in our lives to prepare us for what he has. I firmly believe that. I think Nehemiah took time to kneel and pray, and then he took time to work or wait and walk and pray, and then he took time to work and pray. And we need to stop and weep. We need to kneel and pray, but then we need to stand and act. Because there is going to come a moment where God is going to give an opportunity. He does over and over and over in the story. I think possibly every morning, Nehemiah was saying, Lord, show me today if it's the day that I'm to speak to the king. And if it is, then give me the courage to do it. Open the way up. And weeks go by. He, he mourns, he fasts, he prays, he understands the situation but then he's, then his eyes are open, his ears are open. He's saying, when is it, God? This is not okay. Somebody's got to do something. And then it happens. He goes before the king. He brings the wine. And the king looks at him and says, uh, Nehemiah 2.2, why are you so sad? You look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. <laughs> he said, I was terrified. Because you don't go in front of the king like sad, irritated, whining, with a problem. The king's got enough problems to worry about. He doesn't need your problems. And so if he doesn't like it, he can put you in prison. He can, he can fire you. Or technically, I, I think he could execute you. So there's that. So he's deeply troubled. He's freaked out. But he throws up this prayer. Long live the king. How can I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins? The gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king says, well, how can I help? with a prayer to the God of heaven. Maybe this was this super fast prayer because it's been a prayer he'd been praying his whole life or at least for the last four months. And so, bless you, he says, if it pleased the king and you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors buried. I will rebuild it. This is not okay. Somebody has to do something. Might as well be me. It's cliche, but I think it's true that God doesn't always call the people that are already equipped. But when he calls, he always equips. You don't have to be the most famous. You don't have to be the most beautiful. You don't have to be the most influential. You just have to care. If God puts it in your heart and God is with you in it, it will be a majority. And I think we get kind of confused when... We talk about God's mission and God's service or preaching or evangelizing or ministering. And if you don't know what those words are, they're just all big words to say, you can play a part in God's kingdom. That's his dream. For people to acknowledge that they're part of his family and to play a part in his kingdom, in his work. That people could live in relationship with God. That they could love people beyond themselves that they could come to know that there's a God who loves them, not because of what they do, but because of who that God is. What breaks your heart? What is God already putting there? Because there's all different kinds of ways, in the church, but way beyond the church. And we want to be honest, like just as a church, when Anita need arises to give you an opportunity to say, God, do you want me to play a part in that? And one of our needs right now is in, with our students in a big way. We, we do need a few um, people on our setup team, and we do need a few people in our prayer area. We need a few more kids' teachers. But I would say our students are probably our biggest need right now because it's crucial to the life of our fi- faith of our students, but it's also crucial to how they interact together. And so just a couple more minutes on why that's important, and Don was going to share something. Don, would you come up? So Christine, like, gave this little mention of my Brinley, and some of you know that Brinley and the Broadens have a special relationship, so as you <clears throat> your setup. Thanks. Uh,
2: about five years ago, see, she's 10, so it would have been about five, right, Kirk? Um, there was a need in um, uh, kids' ministry for uh, fourth and fifth grade, or not fourth and fifth grade, four years old and five-year-olds. And so got asked to be a part of, the, of helping out once a month with teaching the kids. And there's this group of kids around this table, and um, most of them very excited, very talkative Challenging for me, and um, to keep some order. There was one that was kind of quiet, and um, I was like, "Can I get her to talk?" And it was that was a challenge. I got I got her name, but it was such a whisper of a sound that I got from her that day. I was like, "Okay, at least I know who you are." Um, roll the tape forward a little bit. I find it, over time, after we'd with teaching this class for a while, I had a shadow. And um, so Brindley was like around, and and as some of you might know, I kind of you know, kids are cool and um, fun to hang around. And, right, Chad, and, and um, a bit of that um, human jungle gym. And over time, we just we just we'd see Brindley and we'd run into Brindley and we'd say hi and we'd hang out, and and time just kept going on. And Colleen and I. Um, Developed a friendship, a friendship that went farther than just you and your crying thing, Um, a friendship that just went beyond um, just hanging out here at church. And actually, was her that pursued it, I would say, to a degree, because um, I suppose she was probably seven at the time, and she had said, "Can I come home with you guys?" Like. Okay, um, <laughs> sure, let's do this. And so over the last three years, even more intently has been um, apple picking day. I, we missed her birthday. We thought it was in July, but while well, we went to the Mall of America one day, we hung out. But this child has just really become, as some as, as Christine had said, our adopted grandchild, which has been really cool. And it has been a very special relationship for my entire family to have her um, a part of that. Point to all this is simply that I had no idea hanging out with some four-year-olds and five-year-olds what that ask was of me to come hang out with them and teach with that class the blessing that I was going to receive through all this. And so as... When that ask comes to you, we really never know where it's gonna lead us. We don't know what that, um, that outcome's gonna be or the road that we're gonna go down. But I know for us, it's been a blessing to to know her and to know her, her family more. Um, just a funny note, I have to say this because it was just the, the greatest thing. Their youngest is Jonah. And we said to Jonah one day, Jonah, we're gonna take Brindley home with us. And he says, no, you can't do that. And I said, why, no, take Oliver instead. because those two are so connected but that's the specialness and that's the fruit of this relationship and so when that opportunity to serve and to volunteer and to help and and with kids like rob said with students um you know you'll bless the lives of these kids and you will bring it and you just don't know how where god's gonna bring it back to to you
1: Now, I know some of you are thinking, like, I don't like kids. Or, because or, I used to serve in student ministry, like, I'm not cool or hip or they won't like me. If you're authentic, you're yourself, and you're interested in them, especially middle schoolers, they will like you. Trust me, they will. And the point isn't, hey, come serve in student ministry the point is God what are you putting on my heart where are the needs Don was serving in the hospitality ministry when there was a need for a K1 teacher he said yes to the K1 someone else came and filled in the hospitality ministry and so even if you're like nope no way students not it And this goes way beyond just this example. When God is leading you in one way, he might be just preparing someone else to fill in another way. That's the beauty of church and his kingdom. And again, when you get to practice it here, you see it happen all over the world. And it's great because people are like, people that don't know God are, are amazed. They don't see this in every other way. So, you get to be an example of what it looks like to be Jesus in the world. It's really easy in our culture to avoid suffering or any kind of pain or discomfort. But when we're in a place where we're uncomfortable, God works in amazing ways. And when we're in a place where we're uncomfortable and someone who doesn't know him is watching, we are in a place of transformation for their life as well as ours. It really is there. There is a sheet in your worship folder that says critical needs and Christine and Matthew or Michael and Aiden are gonna be up here if you wanna just chat with them. A conversation does not count as a commitment, but we invite you to just consider God, where are you calling me? Is there a place that you want me? You don't have to be a professional, done like software, you know, tech systems. But as he said before, human jungle gym. Jacob can tell you what happens when you're an ordinary person and God puts a vision on your heart and you step into it. Something inside of you comes alive. As Jacob wrestled with being an orphan, God put a vision in his heart to advocate for orphans. He's been the coordinator of the Orphan Sunday for... North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota for the last two years, three years? Two years. And just started a a small group studying the book, Do Something. Everybody can do something. I promise I didn't steal his notes for today, but the God of the universe puts a burden on your heart and you bring it to him. He might be telling you, you're the person that can do something no matter how old you are. Somewhere along the way, it was on my heart that people could go to church, grow up in church, hear about God and never really know God. Know that there's a God who loves them, cares for them, wants to have a personal relationship with them, that Jesus made a way for them. So, after spending three mostly successful years in engineering school, I change majors because people matter. And we need, you've heard me say this before, we need good roads and good bridges but someone else can do that because this is not okay. Somebody's got to do something so it might as well be me. Would you pray with me? God, we want to meet people We even sang a song last week. Break our heart for what breaks yours. We want to be people whose hearts beat with you. God, I I think even people who are far from you long for things that are just and true and right. It's their heart beating towards you and with you. God, we don't want to take up space just to live comfortably or successfully. We want to be people That long and live for something more, to see the world more right, more true, more just, more beautiful, more connected. God, I pray that we would ask that prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. That we would offer our lives to have a relationship with you, but to be filled with your spirit forgiven of our sin and to live in your kingdom to contribute and make a difference no matter who we are or where we've been or what we've done. Let us hear that today, God.